0: Hey everyone, welcome back to this episode of 3 Levels Renewables, where we try to answer the ultimate questions of how us humans live in harmony with Earth and all the animals that we share this planet with. Starting late last year, I started to work on a project focusing on carbon dioxide removal, specifically the measurement reporting and verification aspect of it. I've read a New Yorker magazine articles which is shared by a co-worker, This article is called The Great Cash for Carbon Hustle and is written by Heidi Blake. I highly recommend this article, not only because the author did an awesome job investigating closely the carbon accounting and carbon credit industry and shared the details of credit issuance and identified the problem of credits, which are based on theoretical and methodological calculation only, not real-time measurement or verifications to quantify the actual carbon removed from the atmosphere. In addition to this, she also mentioned a few things that are highly debated and so-called necessary for a great and successful carbon removal project. But she mentioned, in reality, it's often neglected and super hard to achieve. I'm going to give a few examples. The first one is financial additionality, or so-called counterfactual. Basically, the project has to prove that the project itself won't be successful or won't be existing without the help of the finances. Using forestration as an example, proving that deforestation efforts wouldn't have occurred without the financial protection or whatever the project activity she mentioned that in reality, proving this is nearly impossible. The other feature that we have is leakages, specifically economic leakages. So basically, you have to approve that the carbon removed from the project is not going to happen somewhere else. Also using forestration examples, you have to approve that the deforestation effort is not going to simply shift to other regions. And you have to answer questions like how to prevent that. So that is also a huge caveat that a lot of projects fail to prove. Another challenge is, is around the permanency. Forests are vulnerable to disturbance, and protection schemes are often temporary. This is called durability, and it's also connected with physical leakages of carbon capture and removal system. Basically, the question is, who's going to be there and be responsible after 20 or 30 years if the removed carbon leaked to the atmosphere. With all of the questions being raised, today we'll discuss the industrial best practices, government's protocols so far for valid carbon credits. And we want to try to answer the questions of how carbon removal and its effectiveness really play a role towards our future climate goal. Level 1. What is the government's guidance and protocol for accurate carbon removal credit? Let's start with EU, the European Union guidance. EU has set their 2050 climate carbon neutrality requirement by the law. To achieve this goal, EU has identified 310 million tons of CO2 equivalent removal target by 2030. The EU Commission has proposed the carbon removal certification framework that aims to ensure the accuracy and reliability of carbon removal's quantification for industrial activities like bioenergy based CCS and direct air capture and storage as well as carbon farming. The framework has streamlined the quality criteria which stands for QU Quantification A. Additionality and baselines. L, long-term storage, and ITY, sustainability. Diving a little bit more into the framework, quantification requires accurate and complete measurement of carbon removals. Relevant greenhouse gas emissions, both direct and indirect emissions, should all be included into quantification process. Additionality and baselines ensure that carbon removal activities would not have occurred without the certification incentive. Long-term storage or quote-unquote durability prioritizes permanent storage solutions for captured carbon. Activity with longer storage durations receives longer validity periods for certified removals. Sustainability ensures the framework aligns with EU climate and biodiversity objectives. The framework also streamlined things like enhanced land monitorings, satellite, and on-site monitoring, which are all very important. The framework also mentions certification process relies on independent third-party audits to verify compliance with the quality criteria. And regular reporting by the schemes is required in the annual basis. So we're talking about annual in the EU, kind of the minimum requirement. Many other governments like Spain or France, they have their own certification process for carbon removal too. For the U.S., I'm going to share two resources and documentations for MRV best practices. The first one is published by U.S. DOE, Department of Energy. So it streamlines the process of how an MRV looks like. First, you want to have goal and scope definition you want to have life cycle inventory analysis and life cycle impact assessment and then you want to do some sensitivity testings around the key parameters, and then you wanted to bring up a more comprehensive interpretation of all the results. It has some basic requirements of things like clarity in goals, representations of current stages versus future deployed stages. An LCA is basically a systematic analysis of environmental impact over the course of entire life cycle, of the carbon removal project, and it should be done multiple times throughout the development circle to appropriately capture the design choices, refinement, and technology improvements. And then the other thing is that we want to have a full documentation and communications of all the assumptions and database throughout all phases of the LCA. The last thing as requirement is that we want to use a robust selections of modeling scenarios to reflect potential operating envelope and associate uncertainties. So we want to have a baseline, we want to have an optimistic case, and then we want to have a more conservative case. The other document resources I wanted to recommend is from the Lawrence Livermore National Lab. Uh, it has a very cool map that tells you what are the, uh, the carbon removal opportunity looking like for a different region of US. Another big thing is the GHG protocol, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, which is a widely recognized framework for measuring and reporting greenhouse gas emissions, as it defines a set of principles and guidance for companies and organizations to quantify and manage their GHG emissions. The only small problem with this one is a lot of the companies only looking at their scope one and two emissions, which are the direct emissions from the business activities and a little bit of emissions coming from the electricity procured. But in reality, there are scope three emissions, which are indirect and are at the results of activities from the company, but not owned or controlled by the reporting organizations. They still matter. I also included the link for scope 3 emissions in the reference sections. Level 2. So in level 1, we talked about what are the government protocol and guidance for carbon removal. In level 2, we'll move on to industry. What are the industrial best practices for carbon removal so far? Here, we try to bridge the gap between guidance and real practices. The first one that I hope to review is the 4-chain MRV methodology developed by Climeworks and CarbonFix for their DAC, direct air capture and storage facilities. So they have two modules. The first one is called DAC methodology. The the other one is called transport and geological storage methodology. Both modules starts with a very clear condition, definitions on technology analyzed and the system boundary. For example, the project activity should comply with applicable local environments, ecological and social requirements. And installation should be up to the standard according to the national best practices. So it has a requirement like this to make sure the technology used for the MRV analysis is advanced and up to the standard. System boundaries are the type of CO2 that we wanted to include in this analysis. So they break it down to three parts. The first part is the CO2 captured from the project. The second part is the CO2 transport from the capture side to the geological storage side, And then the third part is the storage itself by the injection into geological storage reservoir where the CO2 is stored and it gave out quantification guidance and formulas for the amount of CO2 that is actually captured and can be used as the base amount for the carbon credit. Basically, the net carbon dioxide removal is reported for a given monitoring period as the total amount of CO2 injected into the storage reservoir, minus three other types of CO2. The first type is CO2 released, basically the CO2 coming out of the electricity usage or the thermal energy usage of the facilities. And then the second type of the CO2 is the project operation CO2, basically the emissions coming out of the operation activities. So these are like the vented and fidgetive emissions, etc., And then the third type of emission is the embedded emissions, which is in constructions and in disposal of any of the materials that are used for the facility. So once again, the eligible net carbon dioxide removal amount, which can be used as carbon credit, is the injected CO2 minus the released CO2 minus the project operation CO2, and then the embodied CO2 from the project process. So this gives some insights on how to actually measure the carbon credit. In terms of monitoring, there are a couple steps to ensure the consistency for the carbon dioxide removed. The first one that we can track is the amount of CO2, which is measured as the CO2-weighted fraction of the CO2 stream entering the injection well. You have the options to do on-site measurement or periodic sampling with on- and off-site lab analysis. In terms of the measurement frequency, it's recommended to do at least a month or at least twice a year if the measurement data is technically not feasible or it incurs unreasonable costs. And other things the project can track is the uh, electricity used, heat used, sorbent and water used, all of the operations associated with the inputs of the process. For mineral storage process, which uses water with high concentration of CO2 to accelerate the rock breakdown so the CO2 can convert to solid carbonate minerals and therefore achieve the permanent storage. With this type of activity, there are multiple things that you can do to monitor the permanency of the CO2, which includes CO2 gas detectors, visual inspections, annual samplings of wells surface flux measurement. The project can also do a tracer both for non-organic and organic matters to quantify the carbonate precipitation and CO2 storage. Pure Earth is also another organization that has MRV certification requirements. It's called General Plural Standard. It outlines key requirements for carbon removal suppliers. And this standard includes demonstrating of things like additionality through carbon finance, project financials, conducting a counterfactual analysis, the baseline analysis. And it has to include analysis and discussions on investment, risks, and human capital development. And additionally, the project should not be mandatory under existing laws and obligations. The link more on pure earth and then Climeworks and Carbon Fix is also in the reference section. Level three, what should we really think about carbon removal market and credits and its effectiveness towards our climate goal? My personal understanding, the first one is we should prioritize point source emissions. Focusing on large industrial emitters like power plants, factories, oil refineries, this offers a greater potential for impactful carbon removal because those sources represent a significant portion of global emissions and are often concentrated, so making capturing and storage more feasible. And the next thing I wanted to mention is we wanted to try to advance capture and utilization technologies. Circular economy which is the captured carbon can be converted into new fuels and materials, closing the carbon loop and reducing reliance on fossil resources. This creates an opportunity for circular economy where carbon becomes a valuable resource instead of a waste product. In addition, we wanted to try to use the captured carbon, which can create a new revenue streams for industries and incentivize future investment and innovations in, in the CCSU, carbon capture storage and utilization technologies. And then the third one that I really want to highlight is we wanted to advance the tracking technology for measurement and then verification, because transparency and accountabilities are the key. Accurate measurement and verifications are crucial for ensuring the effectiveness of carbon removal projects and building trusts in the market, also with reliable data on captured and stored carbon really allows for a better targeting of resources and valuations of different solutions. Also, with a better tracking technology, we can avoid greenwashing. So we can really prevent the fraudulent carbon credits and ensure the integrity of the carbon removal market. Alright, so today we talked about the challenges and complexities of issuing accurate carbon credits that reflects the actual carbon removed from the atmosphere, specifically things like proving counterfactuals, economic leakages, and the CO2 permanency durability. We explore government guidance and protocols for accurate carbon removal credit. We also talked about the industrial best practices for carbon removal using Climeworks and CarbonFix 4-chain MRV analysis and the Pure earth Standard. In addition, we also discussed the considerations for carbon credit market effectiveness, which is prioritizing point source emissions, advancing capture and utilization technologies, and tracking technology for measurement and verification. That's all for today. Until next time, bye!